which is a piece for solo baritone saxophone written in 2018. 
which is, in Anthony's words, a quirky piece about a humorous misunderstanding that he had with a stranger. The piece Anthony mentions that was co-written with Aspasia Nasopolo and Floris van der Flucht called A Salamander is the next piece you'll hear a short excerpt of. The audio quality of Anthony's voice isn't the best, but it actually gets a little better later on when he switched microphone. The pieces we talk about called As I Hear It and Tick are not featured in this episode, but I include links to them in the show notes and that's also where you'll find the other titles of the pieces in this episode. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Anthony, Anthony Dunstan. I'm Australian. I've been living in the Netherlands since 2009. And yeah, I'm a, a composer, a dad, a husband. I love living in Amsterdam and I feel the cold uh, right now. So yeah, that's me in this moment. <laughs> Can you say something about how your journey as a musician started? How far back does it go? It goes um, goes pretty far back, I guess. I remember around the age of four or five, my parents came to me and said, uh, "What instrument do you want? You, do you want to play?" Oh wow! Yeah, and at that time, my brother was already playing a sort of flugelhorn, cornet type thing. And um, I was sort of asked to, yeah, if I wanted to play an instrument. So it's, it's sort of, it felt a little bit like there was no choice. Like, well, this is what we do in our families, that we play instruments. So <laughs> at the time, I wanted to play trombone. So we tried that, but my arms weren't terribly long. So they said, you know what, if you like that, that instrument, you can start on a different instrument called a baritone horn. And uh, I quickly moved from that to a tenor horn, and I was involved in the brass band and uh, in the local brass band and I I was playing a lot. I basically followed my brother around and um, uh, didn't really practice much, had some fun. And then it wasn't until I was around 14 or 15, I started to get a little more serious about music. My mum was my music teacher at my school and uh, she had budget to buy a French horn. She said, if I buy a French horn, will you buy it? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. And um, earlier on, I'd uh, done some music appreciation classes and um and the teacher or the person who was demonstrating the instruments was saying you know instruments tend to choose the person rather than the person choosing the instrument and uh, I was about this was when I was about four or five uh, very young and um the French horn came around and apparently I don't remember but apparently I was the only kid who could get a sound out of this instrument (laughs) (laughs) so so when um, uh, 15 rolled round and there was an opportunity to have a French horn in my life, I thought, okay, sure. And I, I played it and uh, it was surprisingly comfortable. 
it's sort of uh, the sound sort of just rolled out. A lot of people struggle with it. So I suppose, mythically speaking, the instrument chose me in some way. And so I, I pursued the French horn basically for the next three or four years. And uh, around the age of 18 or 19, oh, by, this, by this time I was very interested in the construction of music and yeah the the microbes of music where it comes from what what its genesis is and um and what it is and i was very interested in all of that so that was much i started to become much more compositionally oriented in my thinking before i finished high school so when i when it got to the point where i had to choose which one i wanted to study inexplicably i chose the the composition and I, to this day, I don't really know why. I just, I just chose composing. I think because it gave me more control over what music I could experience in, in playing the horn. I, I was constantly looking for the, the next new thing and I was hunting down new horn pieces and obscure horn pieces and that sort of thing. But I, I also didn't have the discipline to practice as much as needed to in order to be able to play those instruments. Uh, give them, give them the respect that they deserve and perform those pieces as, as they deserve to be performed. So I decided, well, I'll, uh, I'll step behind the curtain and, uh, and create the pieces. So, um, that, that also just for me was a much more interesting dispute in any case it allowed me to look at music from a perspective that I found more interesting. And so off went the journey writing music. And, um, yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it took a, it took a really long time to be honest to feel comfortable with my choice. I did feel it. I did feel a little bit like I'd, I'd chosen the wrong discipline in some ways because of what it asked of me. It asked of a lot of concentration and focus and time alone. And these are things that I've discovered the opposites to my, my natural nature. So I suppose now I'm at the, I'm at the point of bringing these two things together, these things that I've, that I'm interested in and curious about, uh, coupled with my actual nature. And that is actually performing. That is actually uh, sort of exercising my extrovertedness. I'm at a point in my life quite exciting where I'm, I'm discovering how these two um, sort of uh, sides of myself are coming together. And, um, yeah, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, and that, that's taken a long time to get to that point. It's been an interesting process. So that's, that's sort of my musical journey, I suppose. Yeah. So you are a... Uh, you're doing some voice actor stuff. Is that how you're performing or are you playing uh, music? Yeah, that's right. So actually, I've always loved theatre. I've always loved text and writing and poetry. And while I was uh, composing early on, I actually uh, was incorporating a lot of text into how I was uh, writing the music, the processes, the compositional processes. And um, that would take a programmatic form in some cases or other cases that would be more engaging with the conceptual sides of the text or the poem. And I would also often write my own poetry in order to open up the avenues for inspiration where the music could come. And so you could say in many ways, uh, text inspires my musical thinking. What's your time during this whole process where you were seriously considering doing something else for a living yeah that's still a, that, i mean that's 
Some people say, you know, I chose this and I've never looked back. Well, yeah, so I say I look back a lot. That's <laughs> just too right. It's just who I am. And uh, I, I second guess myself all the time. And, uh, yeah, I'm never really certain about anything, but I make decisions anyway. So I guess this is sort of what I've learned. I also pursued cooking. That started out as a, um, as a necessity. As a student, you need to eat and, uh, you need to live. And I didn't have any money and I needed a job. And right next door to the conservatorium in Amsterdam is uh, an Italian fast food restaurant called Duffiano. And I knew four or five of my colleagues who were already working there. And it was very easy. I just I had a very a ter- terrible interview and they gave me the job anyway. And I started and one of my close mates actually trained me and uh I kind of actually fell in love with the, the food and the colors and the flavors and the textures of food, the excitement, the adrenaline, the tempo was very fast. Everything was now, now, now. And it was a nice contrast to the very slow, methodical thinking in your head, a, a little bit neurotic process of writing music as a composer. So in many ways, that fitted me well. And so for 10 years, basically, on and off, I worked as a chef in various different places. and. Uh, Again, it was purely because of COVID that I stopped cooking, uh, at least commercially. And that did actually open up avenues to get back into cooking more seriously and just bringing so many of these ideas that I've had, that I had had building up over time, creating time and space to actually bring them to life. Although food and cooking is still something that I enjoy, I don't really want to pursue it as a career I think it doesn't uh, provide me with enough sort of stimuli so what's interesting about that as well is early early on think about two years after I started cooking I thought you know I need to do something with the food and this music I love these things and I'm interested in how they can be incorporated so I created a company called Smachner Music which in English is Tastes Like Music and it's essentially a food and music uh, happening. It's evolved in many different forms, into many different forms over the last 10 years. And uh, from there, we tried a lot of different uh, ways to present the food and music side by side. And that went from a dinner and a show sort of structure to more of a food embedded in the music itself, which is what we're more doing now. So there would be a performance that would be connected to a dish and that dish would be served in the moment that the piece was being performed and so you would be eating and listening at the same time. And uh, I also experimented with pieces that incorporated the sort of the sounds of people eating their food into this piece of music that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was about, um, sound and, and silence and the silent parts became sort of Cajun where I took the ambience of the room and tried to amplify it or create sort of a counterpoint between, um, the instrumental sounds and the dining room sounds. And that was quite effective. So I've experimented with various different ways of, of incorporating these two loves of mine food and music and um within the music itself there there is so much there's you know there's there's also like i said literature and voices moved into that as well and then with the 
food, it's a little less complicated. It's really actually just about food. And yeah, so this is why I've sort of stuck with that basic structure. So within Smart Music, we also incorporate theatre into it as well. I think this is also the exciting part about creating music is that you can make it, you, it's so easy to make it multifaceted, multi, uh, disciplinary. So we also, uh, incorporate all of that into our, into our performances too. And we, we have a very exciting performance coming up in October where we'll, where the entire performance will be the making of the food itself. Um, and we've taken different forms in order to present that based on the artists and, and what they can offer as artists. And they've been very creative in how they have managed to incorporate the creating of food within the creating of music as well, or theatre. And, um, and my, my piece will also be in there as well, which will be uh, creating dessert in the context of a play of a theatre piece. Um, can can you give me a minute? I've, I've just got a daughter at the door. I've had to bring her home. She's not well today. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be back in just five minutes. We can pause. aspects mm-hmm. of music making uh, which makes me think of of uh, the pieces you've written for Anne mm-hmm. Lanberg and Sarah Jeffrey called um, As I Hear It and mm-hmm. Tick mm-hmm. Yeah. actually I heard um, As I Hear It uh, in the first Smackner Musik that I ever attended which was in this place where they have really good pancakes in Amsterdam oh yeah Advisors Oh yeah, Advisors Aken. That's what it means. Yeah, called. silly, silly businesses. <laughs> That's what it means. And so I have to ask because these pieces really asks quite a lot of the performer when it comes to theatricality. Is that a word? Mm-hmm, that's a word. Yeah, the requirements, theatrical requirements. Yeah. Did you ever compose a piece for someone who then actually realized they? weren't able to perform your instruction? Sort of. Um, I think uh, <laughs> so. Actually, surprisingly, with, with Tick, the piece that I wrote for Sarah, which is a, a, a sub yeah, contrabass uh, Petzold recorder in F with electronics, yeah, she, she was, uh, Sarah was wanted it to be uh, theatrical, actually. She was excited about it. And I actually, we actually worked together on creating the sounds and the gestures together i came up with the concept but we uh we collaborated to flesh all of that out and uh it was really fun and uh with uh with Anne, it was a similar process uh she had asked me to write her a piece and i really wanted to do again do something with theater and so i was very open with her about that and uh and she was open to it you know also excited about it being theatrical so i wrote this really really long piece um i think about 15 minutes long 20 minutes long even with a lot of repetition uh which is the piece itself it's a little bit of a poke at uh, minimalism <laughs> and uh, the original 
the original piece was meant to go really, really long, and uh, the expectations, it was meant to play on the expectations of the audience. And uh, it was inspired by a piece that I had seen that just drove me insane as a, as a spectator, as an audience member. It, uh, I went through a rainbow of emotions listening to this, watching this piece. It was actually a dance piece, and I hated it, and then I loved it, and then it annoyed me and it upset me and I laughed and I cried. It was just everything. And I thought it was a wonderful experience and I wanted to translate that. I wanted to create something like that myself in, in a classical format, um, classical music format. And what I brought to Anne to begin with was, was too much. She, she said that she said it was, uh, you know, she had to do a lot of things while also continuing to play this repeated pattern. And, you know, I wanted her to sneeze and cough and, you know, all, all of this sort of stuff. And we, we discussed it a lot and we tried out various different methods and things. And what, what came out of it eventually was a very condensed version, essentially, of what I'd brought to her. So instead of it being 20 minutes long, it ends up being four and a half minutes long. And the reactions, uh, I suppose you would say, to this repeated pattern, this endless, incessant repeated pattern, is condensed into four minutes. So you have, again, still a myriad of these emotions, these reactions, but uh, it, it sort of has its climax and, and then peters out very quickly. I think that's very effective. I would still really love to hear the original that I had written and uh, and see if there's a performer out there interested in, uh, I don't know, meditating on emotions for uh, 20 minutes. But, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. I'm, I'm focused on other things at the moment, so... Um, I don't know. It's, it's sitting there. It'll it'll happen one day, I suppose. But uh, I suppose what your what your question might be poking at is that these pieces are mostly written for specific people, which means that they're not very uh, marketable. If that makes sense, there's not a lot of mm. performers out there interested, capable, whatever, in in actually performing the piece. So I've sort of shot myself in the foot there. I'm okay with it, to be honest. Um, you know. Sarah um, hasn't performed Tick in a while, but three, four, five other people have performed it that I, I get. Oh. Uh, yeah, I actually, it's one of one of the more popular pieces performed. Yeah, recorder players, <laughs> block players, they seem to love being a bit crazy on stage. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And so I, I guess that also means a little bit that the process that I went through with Sarah was very effective, that although I've incorporated physical gestures into the piece, they do connect with the music and there is a, a logic behind it that works and and that's great to see that it's translating to other performers and they also interpret it in different ways still very much hold the the flavor of the piece and are very interested in interpreting it the way i had intended but i'm also very interested in in them engaging with the music themselves putting a little bit of themselves in into the piece if they've chosen to perform the piece that tells me that there's something in them that can bring something out of the piece that, that could be very interesting, but is still unified in some way. So I, I, I quite like that. I'm quite open to, uh, to performers doing that. And, um, as far as, uh, as I hear it goes, no one else has performed it except Anne, but Anne has performed it, I think, more than 10 times now. So <laughs> she, uh, really, <laughs> really enjoys the piece. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's great. Uh, she's, she's really made it her own too. So I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty great. 
Yeah, I will uh, include some links to videos of these performances, I think, in the show notes in case people listening feel a little curious about what we're talking about. (laughs) Actually, I was, I mean, when I think of uh, these two pieces, I can relate more to Tick, like as a performer going on stage and then just feeling pretty nervous and awkward. I mean, so in that sense, I can... uh, understand that it can appeal to more people uh, rather than the aspect of going on stage and play and faking an orgasm uh, <laughs> yeah. that's uh that's usually not how i feel no. when i'm about to perform a no piece. <laughs> can i just say by the way that that was all Anne. okay she brought that to the table i didn't <laughs> that wasn't in the original <laughs> So that was 100% of her contribution to the piece. I had uh, written something like, you know, be be enamored or aroused by the music or something like that in the piece, but I in no way explicitly said uh, have a fake orgasm on stage. So but that, that's, that's what came of it. So, um, yeah, power, power to her. <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. I re- I'm really curious about i mean this is something i'm exploring in these uh, interviews how people mm-hmm. get things together can you say something about how your freelance career found its forum because i mean you're making a living from doing mm-hmm. what you want want to do was it a smooth process where one thing just led to another not at all no it was um it's been very marbled um with lots of different things and it trails back to to second guessing myself to doing other things being interested in other things so the cooking came into that that was the most stable thing in in my life for a long time well career-wise I'm talking now and um I did give that up I got really fed up with it and and really wanted to do something else and I did get a job as a writer and researcher in a um, an online digital classical music uh, company, download company, streaming company called Primephonic. And I'm still registered as one of their freelance writers, but I, I don't work for them regularly anymore in terms of going to the office weekly and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, there's there's been a lot of different things that have happened, although creating your own your own project just takes time in general and you know from from the birthing of an idea to actually actually getting it into a tangible form it's just a very sort of a very long process um you mentioned earlier a piece um sonata for solo trombone and uh that that piece has been six years in the making basically it's taken uh, just a very long time and it actually created a platform to make a mockumentary about it, which we've done. And we're now at a point, myself and the trombonist, where we're looking for places where we can perform it further. We've just premiered it and we're really excited about it. We really enjoy it. I do some um, voice acting in it. He does acting as well as playing the trombone and and lots of other things uh, are required of him. And he is a performer who really enjoys this, and he laps it up. He's brilliant. Um, his name's Oliver Emmett, and he's also a multifaceted bloke. He, you know, does a lot of these things. And so we're very interested in um, performing it elsewhere, so we're both working really hard at that. And I suppose collaboration is such a big thing. If you can get together with people and create a team around you, it, it really helps to get these ideas 
from concept to to performance and Smarta Music is the same. You know, it, it wouldn't exist if I did it on my own. I need people around me, other artists, to help me do it, to help me bring it together and make it interesting and exciting for an audience. And so, yeah, it hasn't been easy. And I have to say, you know, the one thing that does seem to open the doors a little quicker and, and make things move a little faster is, of course, funding. If you have funding and some financial support behind you, it does create a grounding and almost a motivation that can really get you going. And um, if you're constantly working for free and working against the grain, it does wear you down. And, and so I think it's really important for every every artist to be supported financially and yeah that's just a tall order it's a hard ask I I don't um I mean I'm very fortunate to have my wife she supports me uh, in so many different ways and she doesn't support me directly financially but because we're married we're a family there is inexplicably more support there financially so that that really helps and I've been fortunate ironically through COVID in the last year or so to actually receive some commissions that those opportunities just weren't there before and I don't know exactly why but you know I I had also made the choice to stop a regular job and just and just pursue composing and creating music creating theatre and um, from that it may have told the universe you know that I'm serious about it now or something like that because I think things have really started to change and I talk about support there's financial support but there's also artistic support I'm working with a um I'm working with a project manager by the name of Hannah Blomieu and she uh, has quite a lot of experience in the contemporary music world of being involved in projects, creating projects. She's worked with lots of different composers and musicians that uh, are at the forefront of the Dutch music scene, contemporary music scene, and we're sort of newly working together on building up four four projects at the moment. And it's it's a slow process, but to have her support and to have her advice and she's also very open to sort of being a soundboard. She's also a bit of a counsellor, <laughs> you know, when I'm, I'm struggling with certain things, you know, she, she just gives me really great worldly advice. She sort of walks along with me in the process, which is not something that every project manager will do, by the way. Uh, it's not, it's not in her job description to do that, but um but she she does that, and so uh, I'm very fortunate to have her support as well, and and her friendship, and then of course the people that you, you collaborate with. I'm coming back to that again. Um, you know, when I was working with Sarah creating Tick, that was hugely inspiring, and uh, same with with Anne and the the other other musicians that I've worked with since then, including Oliver. You know, they bring something out out of you, and um, and you become a team, and the piece becomes yours together. And for me personally, that's that's really exciting. I like to come with the concepts, the idea, and then from there, I like to I like to build it and form it with people. Uh, and so, in terms of bringing this freelance world to some sort of structure, all I, all I can really say is that there seems to be a community that that makes it happen. You sort of can't do it on your own. Uh, yeah, I I need to um. Put a pause on it again. Sorry, I've got a little girl at the door again. One second.
so you said it's important uh, to have a community. So I'm thinking if uh, if someone is listening to that and thinking, oh yeah, okay, I uh, I should maybe work on <laughs> on my community. I mean, how do you? It's it's easier said than done, isn't it? How do you Absolutely. nurture and build a community as a musician? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. It starts with, uh, I suppose, organizing something, um, whether it's something that someone else has organized and you can sort of go along with it or, or it's, uh, it comes from your own initiatives, you know. Smart New Music came a little bit from this where I wanted people to hear more of my music and I wanted them to hear more of my friend's music, which I I thought was worth hearing. And Smart New Music was a place where I wanted them to be able to feel comfortable and not confronted with these crazy sounds, <laughs> but more warmly invited into the brain of the composer and to sit and enjoy it. So in some way, with, and I thought food was the best way to do that. And it's, uh, it's true. Uh, people like that formula. In terms of creating your community, I suppose, you know, when I moved to the Netherlands, to Amsterdam, I knew that uh, if I wanted to make a career here, I needed to study because I knew that being part of a collegial community in a studying atmosphere, there was already that platform to find like-minded people to surround yourself with supporters, um, that being other, other musicians, other collaborators and, and share this journey with them. You know, um, my journey is nothing new. It's, it's the same as many other people's, uh, Large aspects of it are the same as many other people's journey. So, um, I, I think there's a lot to, in studying in, in an institution that can create, already create a community there. Um, yeah, I, I still go and see friends' performances, friends who I studied with 10 years ago, uh, because we created a connection together, uh, while studying in Amsterdam and, um, there's still people I keep in contact with back in Australia, a really long way away. I still keep in contact with them. I do think that that does really help. And, and my, my upbringing in music was all about community, musical community. My family was a musical community. Playing in a brass band was a music, musical community. So if people are looking for how they can jumpstart their freelance career as a musician or a composer, I, I think in many ways that's where it starts. And perhaps for musicians, it's a little more easy because, you know, you're performing together and you're rehearsing together. Uh, and so that, that community structure is already there. The music brings you, brings you together, whereas composers uh, are left on their own in many ways. And so if you're someone like me who really feeds off other people, it's a little more difficult to get that going. Um, I will say this, though. Back in 2015, I got involved with an organisation called Co-Composers Amsterdam, uh, COCOA, and that was started by uh, composer Aspasia Nasopoulou. And... She believed deeply in this composer community and this support, this artistic support that we can create for each other. And so co-composing Amsterdam is all about composers coming together and writing music together. And that's just such a wonderful, it's been such a wonderful experience. We, um, myself, Aspasia and another composer named, um, Floris van der Flucht, we wrote a piece together, a 15 minute piece for two hearts. 
and two singers. And it was premiered just before the lockdown last year, in February last year, in Plain Theater. We worked really hard on it and we we discussed everything. We went through every every detail together from the very the very germ of the idea right through to the moment we were re- rehearsing it with Duo Abilitus. They're a, um, a harp duo who happen to be able to sing as well. One of them is a, is a trained singer and the other sings beautifully. So they, they have this duo where they're, um, they're quite remarkable in what they can do. So we, we actually created quite a complex, colourful, difficult piece for them and and since then, the piece has been performed again by a, another ensemble in Belgium. And this is a piece that was written by three different composers. And you can't necessarily hear the the distinction between the composers in the piece itself. And I, I don't think that's a fault. I think that's a triumph that we've been able to create a holistic piece, a unified piece that makes sense, that makes musical sense, that, that isn't just a, a collage of, of three different styles. And so there, there is really a community there. This isn't the first project that they've done either that she's done, and there are other composers involved as well in this uh, organisation. And um, they've done other projects too. Um, 2016, they did a DJ project, and um, we've pursued a choir project with, um, with, a, with a choir. That hasn't quite happened yet, but it, it will happen. And Aspasia and Floris and I enjoyed writing together so much that we want to write another piece. So I think it takes people like Aspasia and various others to create these communities and it's about getting involved with them and there is a well of support there. It's, it's pretty great. skills or experiences that you've acquired after your studies that you wish you'd been exposed to at school? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's difficult, you know, because at school, at uh, in the conservatorium, there's so much focus on your craft and building your craft and shaping it. And it's true that that's where it starts. And that's also what a school ultimately is able to offer. I think supple- supplementary they can offer things like career advice uh, or the, just the very basics of, of getting your business as a musician or as a composer off the ground, how you, sh- how you ought to structure it here in the Netherlands, for instance, and all the different bureaucracies you'll need to set in place in order for that to happen um, smoothly or at least smoothly-ish. And so I, I could say that it, it would be nice to have that available where it, it was something that I had pursued later where I, I went out and, okay, how do you, as a ZZ payer or freelancer, how do you structure your, your day-to-day? How do you structure your finances and your accounting, your books? What, what should your invoices, invoices look like? How do you pursue work? All of that sort of stuff wasn't really offered, or at least I don't remember it being offered at the conservatorium at the time. 
when I was studying, but I have seen it emerge more and more since. So they are offering these things, but they are supplementary. So I also wonder whether I'll even have had the brain space at the time as a student shaping my craft, trying to understand who I am and what I have to offer as an artist while studying and trying to absorb all this information and then as well think about a career and and how it ought to be structured. I don't know if I would even have the brain space to pursue that in my student time. So there are very there are little things I suppose that that I wish were a bit different. You know, silly, silly things like I notice just speaking as a composer, it is to be honest a little depressing the way that the the institutions are structured for composers. That okay we get we get a festival that's fantastic and and our pieces get performed that's brilliant but that's it there's sort of no ceremony or acknowledgement or accolade to say you've done really well um we're gonna you know take you downstairs and we're gonna do a little speech and you know say how well you did and everything and speak personally about you uh musicians get that but composers don't and it's a little i don't know it, it sort of feeds into our our already existing neuroses <laughs> that uh yeah that, that we do also want to be acknowledged for the work that we put into into it as well that's a silly thing it's a, it's a little thing but you know it's something i suppose other things that that i missed while studying i could say the multidisciplinary stuff but you know that was also there too i think you know, there's just so so much to take in when you're when you're studying. There's so much to think about and to do, and you know, you are offered a lot. Whether or not you have the space for it is is a different story. And yeah, it's an interesting time in one's life to be studying and um, and sort of uh, wrestling itself at the same time. Not everyone has that uh, that same thing, but. Uh, I think for artists, it might be more profound than in other professions. I don't really, I don't really know. That's more my experience when I've worked in in other professions. That it, the framework as a, as an artist or a musician, that you sort of have to create it yourself. As a chef, I could just walk into the kitchen and I and I knew within uh, half a minute what was required of me and what I was going to be doing for the day, and then boom, your day's set and you do it. And yeah, there there are some things on the way uh, you're not sure about, I'm not certain about, but um, the structure is all there. You, you know, you don't have you don't have to create anything really from scratch except the food itself. And then, as a musician, as a as a composer, everything everything from the ground up has to be conceived and implemented by you or a team that you've that you've built and in building the team you also have to do that yourself as well and you have to find the right people you know it's just it starts from ground zero so i i totally understand why uh there are these these communities when you start working with people in the music community and it's working why you stick with them because there's that framework and understanding already there you know the ins and outs and you know how everyone functions and thinks and you you can move like a well-oiled machine together and i can see why it's so attractive for musicians to want to secure a job in an ensemble for instance because then there also you have this framework this existing framework but if you work as a freelancer outside of a of an ensemble of a set ensemble like a full-time ensemble I'm talking about or a full-time orchestra, then it can be daunting with with all the things that you've got to consider. And 
I don't know that any institution can really teach you all of that in one very short period of, of learning time. So I think, I think in many ways institutions are doing as much as they possibly can and inevitably they're going to be things that you just uh, are going to have to learn when you finish studying. I mean, it's, it takes, it's taken me years to learn certain things, you know, and, um, or, or to feel more comfortable with certain things in association with the job, with the task. And, uh, that has only come through sort of being, being thrown into the, into the sea of the music world. Yeah. Um, so in many ways, I don't know that there are certain things that I don't think you can learn properly, maybe not to the same degree in, in your study time. Uh, yeah. And for me, it was time management and organizing my finances and a budget. You know, these were all things that I had no idea about until I left the conservatorium. And it's taken, taken me years to get to a point where I feel like I'm in some sort of a, a rhythm with it. So. So you're doing your own taxes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do my own taxes. Yeah, I, I have uh, an accountant. Actually, you know her, um, Andrea Foots. She does my taxes now. So I, I put everything together and at the end of the year. I, um, I have a 15 to 20-minute meeting with her. That's it. But throughout the year, I'm doing it all myself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. In Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> How uh, does one go about finding the right accountant for oneself? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that, that's uh, also been a process in it, in itself. So I, I was um, fortunate to have Susie already help break some ground for me with that. So she's my partner, and so she already had someone in place that she was working with, uh, an accountant that she would go to every year. And we eventually left her for various reasons, and. We'd already known that Andrea was, was doing people's books, that she was helping. She's a very servant-minded person, by the way. She loves helping people, which is both her, what do you call it, um, strength and her vice. Um, I think she also suffers a bit from it. <laughs> she cares too much. But so I already knew that she was doing people's taxes, but she was also working with someone uh, as well in association with that who also specialised in musicians and, and the way that the tax system works for musicians and composers because it is a bit different. It's not the same for every artist uh, I've discovered. So for composers, for instance, um, if we are commissioned to write a piece of music for an ensemble, for instance, we don't have to charge Beethoven, which is uh, VAT, um, service tax, which is great. I, I don't think that's true for musicians uh, when, they, when they're performing, for instance. They do need to charge, I think, 9%, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, so it's these small things that are important to get right. Of course, you know, the tax office don't apologize for anything. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you really need to, uh, to get it right the first time. And Andrea has been great that we've been with her now two years. And she, she also does my wife's taxes, Susie's taxes, and we do it together as a married couple, which makes sense. We, we own a property together. All of that sort of stuff makes sense to do it with the one bookkeeper. And uh, everything takes, takes less than half an hour to do it with uh, Andrea. So it's all very fast. And she does have expectations of what you need to bring. And, you know, so long as you're understanding that, then, uh, then it all goes smoothly. So if, it's, if, if you're brand new to the whole process, and you're looking for a, uh, an accountant, 
who can also help you through the process in the beginning, uh, help you learn it, and then get to a point where your meetings only take 15 minutes, then Andre is great. Right. Yeah. I need to get some uh, some uh, Swedes on this uh, podcast so that I can ask them how it works in this country because I, <laughs> I really, really uh, struggle with these things. I have a mental barrier to even... Uh, attempt to get into these things yeah i did too i uh, too yeah i totally recognize that and on a personal level my, my wife and i've worked out a weekly structure a day-to-day structure that suits both of us and i've invited susie into how, how my finances work uh, because her her nature is to think about these things in a more structured way and she doesn't have that same barrier that I have. Uh, so we, we have a set day, an admin day, where we sit down for two hours and we go through it and uh, we will also go through the artistic stuff as well, the logistical stuff, you know, what projects are you working on right now and what's the timeline and where's the money, where's the money coming from, when's it getting paid, who's paying it, Uh, what do you need to do uh, to to get it paid? All of this sort of stuff. We sit down and we we talk about it together. We have a set time that we do that. So in a way, I have my own personal assistant for my chaotic brain, and um, she happens happens to be my wife, and she wants to do it. By the way, I'm not you know coercing her into this uh, either. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to to bribe her with anyway. So I mean, you know, the support that I get from Susie is is priceless and uh, yeah I'm sorry that not everyone can have a Susie but I'm sure there are many people who can be more aware of uh, reflecting on which uh, Susies they have in their life anyway that they can uh, ask yeah that's right for some assistance and help you know when I when I finished uh, when I finished studying that was just a terrible part of my life that gave me huge stress um were were my taxes my finances I I hated it and it wasn't until a year or two ago that I've actually been able to talk about it with sort of some some lightness with some sort of mental control over it and it's been because of Susie that that I've come to this point At, at the time when I was uh still learning this stuff I thought oh but I don't have time I don't have time I have to you call this person and I need to flesh out that idea and uh, I want to you know, want to try these sounds out and you know I have to do all of these other things and I don't have time for the tax but what was actually happening was that these financial issues and concerns would just sit at the back of my mind and they would eat away at my motivation and my creativity and I didn't realize it was doing it it was like a, a parasite an avid just attached and eating wires um and it, it wasn't until i um susie <laughs> sort of uh, i i say i invited her but she did kind of insert herself and say okay we're going to sort this out um it wasn't until this happened that that there there became a kind of a freedom in my working process in my creative working process that wasn't there before and the structure in in that part of my life Uh, was reflected in a structure in my creative side as well because I was also just, uh, you know, I was I was working on stuff at ridiculous times and I still do that a little bit but uh, but much less. I think it's also a little bit of part of you as, a, as an artist. You're always inspired or not 
or not. But this created a little bit of a little bit of structure with it, and yeah, that that mental barrier. Yeah, it needs uh, it, it needs some loosening for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much uh, dark music is composed, which is inspired by this uh, anger at uh, doing one's taxes, having <laughs> yeah. to do it, not understanding it. Yeah. Uh, this must be really fueling some composers' uh, emotions. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't quite know. <laughs> I don't know quite know how it affects my colleagues. We don't. I mean, it's not really a topic any of us really like talking about. <laughs> yeah, this topic is a bit similar to the way I feel when I'm at the dentist's, and uh, I just think this is horrible. How come? We're not talking about this all the time with each other. And then something happens when we leave the dentist's office. We just forget about it or something and we think about the other things again. Yeah. And it's a bit like that with taxes as well. When I have to fill out these papers and I think this is just a disgrace to civilization. <laughs> How come we're not talking about this all the time? That's but we're not. <laughs> And uh, so I really like asking people on this podcast about this because it's also, you know, if, if a podcast is about music, you want to hear about the creativity and the yeah. inspiration and all of these things. You don't really want to hear about taxes, but I actually do want to hear about taxes. I need this <laughs> encouragement and to feel some kind of community across borders. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I talked to Sarah recently. Oh, yeah. And uh, she loves doing her taxes. And it was really nice to just hear that. Oh, Sarah, overachiever. So irritating. <laughs> <laughs> I just have uh, one last question for you. I know it's been a while. Do you have time for one question? I have time, yeah. Uh, what does the word musician mean to you? Ah. 
I suppose, officially uh, an, in, an interpreter of musical sounds, but um, in the way that in the way that I experience a musician, they're as much creator of the sounds as I am. Um, there are sounds that I can't create but want to create or I imagine them, and I also couple it with with a musician and their instrument. Um, and there's a, there's a character and a personality there that also influences the sound. So I think they're creators of sounds. Yeah, that's it, I guess. Yeah. I could ramble, but I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. Where, uh, where would you like people to uh, listen to your music? Uh, I've got a... I'm putting putting up some videos on YouTube. I'm sort of a little more focused on that at the moment. So yeah, I've got a YouTube channel which is just my entire name, and uh, also SoundCloud, which is also my entire name. I've noticed that this stuff is popping up on Bandcamp now, so I'm going to look into that. But don't have anything there. Uh, but actually, my website's useful because it kind of brings all of that together. There's also a, a nice little video. On Vimeo, I'm also part of Vimeo as well. That was uh, that's an interview of a piece that I wrote uh, in Orkel Park, in Organ Park uh, in Amsterdam, and uh, I wrote it for the two organs, the Soya and the Utopa organs there. And it, it's it's all electronic. the The sounds are authentic organ sounds, but it's all triggered via a Max Patch and MIDI channels. And that's that's the piece, uh, and I wrote it. Wrote it in collaboration with a uh, an artist based in Curaçao, who lived here in Amsterdam for a long time. I knew her; was, was a close friend of mine. And I saw something that she posted on social media and was hugely inspired by it. Immediately contacted her, and uh, suddenly the two projects, which was a separate project with Ojo uh, Park, they collided and we created this piece together, which will be. Uh, premiered officially premiered in september first of september but you can watch a video of me uh, talking about the piece and the experience of working in orkel park for 10 days which was amazing by the way and uh yeah there's also other videos um sort of connected with it of other composers of the whole initiative i was a part of which is a chain composition uh of 10 different composers connected by the last 30 seconds of the previous piece so it's uh it's a really cool really cool uh project so by watching my video you can also check out other videos from other composers who are doing really great stuff exciting stuff uh looking at the organ and the construction of the organ in a really interesting way and extracting sounds i had no idea you could extract from an organ and uh yeah very inspiring stuff so that's also really cool to check out Nice. Are you looking for uh, anyone to collaborate with or anyone to, yeah, uh, would you like anyone to reach out to you? Absolutely, yeah. If, um, <laughs> of course, um, I'm, I'm working on some projects uh, right now, but uh, they're in their early stages and uh, they're sort of long-term projects as well. So a short-term project would be great, you know, working directly with a musician if they come, with, come to me with an idea and uh, I think it's cool. And we can work with it together, you know, gra grab a beer or a drink or a coffee or and, and have a brainstorm. Absolutely would love it. Yeah, of course. I'll do anything. Yeah. Or, or, or write for any instrument. 
yeah, as long as it's it's uh, an instrument. <laughs> and you're looking for a pianist even more crazy than Anne Weinberg? I guess so, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, I might approach Anne again and say, hey, you know, how are you feeling? Do you want to do this 20-minute piece? I might be able to convince her. <laughs> um but you know it might it might be exciting and she might even advise this to you know breathe breathe some fresh life into this uh into this dusty old piece that's been sitting there for seven or eight years now mm. you know totally unplayed you know and looked at it but she you know she didn't didn't play the whole thing so it's a minimalist piece and uh it, it should shouldn't be taken too seriously but there is a lot of there's a lot of crazy stuff that I'd love to explore with it, actually, someone who, yeah, is, is keen for that, uh, has ideas of their own, is also really inspiring for me as well. I really enjoy that. I love creating uh, and shaping something with someone else. So, yeah, if that floats your boat, let me know. you for listening. See the show notes for the relevant links so that you can check out Anthony's Moko teaser for the Sonata for Solo Trombone on YouTube. And if you're a crazy pianist, he might want to hear from you. In the next episode, I'll travel back in time a little to my days in Manchester when I was a member of a little band and I catch up with Callum Plowright, who was the singer, guitarist and songwriter of this band called Howl. I'm curious about who is listening, so feel free to make a comment on this podcast's coffee page or Instagram account and see how you found a particular episode inspiring or useful, or write me an email. My address is in the show notes and on my website, rymnilvesenmerk.com.